Putting Out the Planetary Fire, an introduction to climate change and advocacy, is a publication that was released earlier this year, on Earth Day, in fact, by Mark Dunley. Mark joins me now to tell us a little bit about this book. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Sina, for having us on. I've been wanting to talk to you about this book, and it has an interesting structure that I'm excited to tell our listeners about. First, can you introduce what your book is about? Well, it's sort of a, a two-part uh, book. I had uh, been asked, uh, I guess now about two years ago, to teach a class at Bennington College on uh, climate change and advocacy. I was surprised to not be able to find a sort of Climate 101 book that provided, you know, sort of the basic introduction uh, to what climate change is about, what do we mean by solar and wind and geothermal. Um, and so after the class was over with, I said, well, I should take the information that I uh, compiled for the class, both on Climate 101, the basics of, of climate, uh, but then also to put in some information about advocacy. Uh, how can particularly young people, but anybody, um, you know, be engaged in, in lobbying or, or protests or how to use, you know, art and what's the different theories of social change. So it's more of a organizing uh, handbook. Uh, it's not a book where I expect people to sit down and read cover to cover, but if they you know, I'm hearing a lot about blue hydrogen. What does that mean? And, you know, you can basically, so it's more of a reference uh, book and, uh, you know, some background. But in the introduction part, you know, I do do a little bit more of my philosophy. But since I initially intended it to be used in, in classrooms for introduction in, in college, but also maybe as, you know, junior or senior class in high school, I, 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 I try to be a little bit more mainstream and a little bit less of my personal uh, perspectives. So with the experience of being in the classroom and with students, and you mentioned the portion of it that is advocacy, what are you seeing from young people? We certainly have had a wave of youth activism at the forefront of climate change, it seems to have died down. What are you seeing from youth, young people these days? Well, I think the wave is a, is a good uh, description of the situation. Uh, you know, probably the most, you know, critical person was uh, Greta Thornburg, the uh, young S Swedish uh, activist, uh, now recently graduated from, from high school. But when she started, you know, basically doing a personal protest out in front, I guess, of the, the Swedish parliament holding a sign on, on Fridays, um, she got a lot of attention that eventually went worldwide and it really spurred uh, a lot of other young people uh, to get involved. You know, that unfortunately um, dissipated a bit uh, during COVID, like many um, community groups did um, because of the need to isolate and stuff like that. It's, you know, certainly has picked back up a little bit in the last six months, but it's, um, you know, not where it needs to be. But at the same time, while there's been a little bit less of a mass, you know, movement, we're not seeing the 200,000 you know, students taken to the streets of New York City, like we saw before COVID. Uh, certainly a lot of the um, younger people have continued to do very important work. Uh, the Sunrise Movement uh, has been probably one of the most impactful groups at the uh, national level, um, pushing uh, a version of a Green New Deal, pushing for a, a climate conservation core, and, and also really became active 
in elections. And I think some of the younger people, um, because you know, they're the ones that are going to have to live with the reality of, of climate change more than you know, say, people in the third act who are you know above 60, you know, will be dying off before the worst occurs. They're a little bit more uh, desperate and and become a little bit more militant, which is what uh, is needed to be done. So you do see groups like uh, uh, I think it's climate defiance, and, and they're doing a lot more direct action and. Um, interrupting speeches by government officials as well as those who are finance and the fossil fuel industry. So I think there's a lot of lot of uh, interest, uh, but it does go in, in ways, like for instance, one of the groups we worked with a lot here in New York, basically was representing high school students. And then the problem is high school students graduate and go on to college, and they don't always necessarily leave the same level of commitment and expertise when they move on. So it's sort of a boom and bust cycle. What are some of the most important points that you lay out in your portion of the Climate Change 101? Well, one that is a desperate situation. And it's, it's one of the things some of us fault scientists for, for not really being honest about how bleak the situation is. Their argument, which is understandable, if they were to really lay out what's uh, unfortunately likely to occur, they, they worry we create a sense of hopelessness and then paralyze people from doing anything. Um, I, I, I think their efforts to sort of understate the problem uh, has not spurred the type of action that is needed. Uh, I do think um, Extinction Rebellion now has like a science you know, scientist chapter, uh, and I think they understand they need to, you know, be a little bit more truthful and honest uh, about what's um, going on. Um, but, but the fact that for many days this summer um, or this year, that you know, the world temperatures, global warming, was actually above the 1.5 degree target, which is what we have agreed in Paris to try to keep global warming beneath and avoid you know, the most extreme weather. The fact that we were above that so many days, it's not permanent, it goes up and down, but it means we're getting much closer to that 1.5 degree target. And in fact, there was one day where we went above the two degree target. And as the head of the United Nations, you know, has, has repeatedly warned, we're not moving fast enough to avoid um, global warming climate uh, collapse. And, and he, he recently said that we've literally opened up the gates of hell. Um, through our inaction and that extreme weather is now here to stay. So one is a very extreme situation that, that, that requires radical action, uh, not incremental change. And then one point I always make, which sort of seems obvious, but in the real world is not, is that the single most important thing to do in terms of climate change is to stop burning fossil fuels. It's just to stop putting greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. Uh, I've done a lot of work with 350.org. The reason why 350 has its name was the idea that in avoid, you know, climate class, we have to keep the carbon in the atmosphere uh, below the equivalent of 350 parts per million. Well, we, we, you know, we're above, you know, 420. And yes, we need to do things like, um, you know, build more offshore wind, onshore wind, you know, solar. But if we don't cut emissions, just putting, uh, you know, renewable energy into the grid is, is not going to solve the problem. We've seen that in countries like Germany, which did a very good job in expanding uh, renewable energy, but still they saw their, you know, emissions going up. And, and then one other point I make is that 
we need to be clear we have to end capitalism um, and you know actually the international uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change the scientists sort of convened under the auspices of the United Nations and Pope Francis have both made that point that stopping climate change is incompatible with continuing a dominant role for capitalism where which needs growth in order to continue and also often the basic economic decisions are, are made based not on what's best for the people but what increases the profits of the one percent and that's an economic theory that the drive for profits will be the most efficient utilization of our economic resources and that's why we you know capitalism they would say is a success but capitalism has not looked adequately at its environmental impact and, and one of the problems with our system of capitalism is that we allow the the rich and the powerful to sort of unload their costs onto the average consumer and so for instance with fossil fuels you know even though what eight million people worldwide a year die from um, burning uh, fossil fuels and you know in New York State um, you know we spend you know 30 billion dollars a year dealing with the health impact from burning uh, fossil fuels and at least three four thousand people die annually in, in New York State from burning fossil fuels none of those costs or I should say none but most of those costs were not paid for by the uh, those burning fossil fuels but it's passed on to the uh, consumer and that results in a lot of inefficient uh, you know sort of decisions we need to get to the situation where uh, to a certain extent we saw during COVID where we got to make decisions based on what's good for everybody not just to, to maximize the profits of the wealthy and I think that's one thing in the United States that the mainstream climate movement has been a little bit reluctant to, to speak so clearly about is the need in capitalism they have begun fortunately to at least talk about you know we need the role of public power so for instance here in new york state we, you know we approved allowing our state-owned utility uh, the new york uh, power authority to uh, begin to begin hopefully begin to build renewable energy but you know we need the government, which is the voice of the people, to begin to say, we need to build this stuff, we need to build it fast, and you know, we need what what basically FDR did a bit uh, after you know Pearl Harbor was attacked. He took control of the American economy and said that I'm you know going to mobilize the country's resources in order to meet the needs of the country at this point, and and people rallied around that. But we've not well, had speaking that level of governments. Of we just had COP28. Did anything positive for the climate movement come out of COP28? Well, there's a thing called loss and damages, which is a fancy word to, uh, you know, the industrial polluters should be helping the um, global south deal with the uh, impact from um, climate change because um, they're the ones who profit off of it. There was at least some recognition of that, some steps in, in the right direction. As others have said, it's you know it's pennies on the dollars in terms of what was committed, but that seems to be the one positive thing. And the other thing was that people really wanted, which is not occurring, is to get an actual commitment to phase out the use of fossil fuels. 
and, and that basically has been defeated by the fossil fuel industry. And the United States sort of played both sides of that game. They actually publicly were saying that they supported, you know, phasing out fossil fuels, but they did that with the caveat that they wanted to invest tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions, of money into what's called carbon capture technology, which has never worked at the level it's supposed to. But the idea was they would allow fossil fuel companies to continue to, to burn but then try to capture the carbon uh, at the smokestack before it goes out and, and put it into the, into the ground. Um, so that was the United States position, but you know, phasing out fossil fuels is, is gonna definitely be the big loss. Um, former Vice President Al Gore, uh, because this is radio station, I can't use the words he used to describe how bad this was, but uh, he was quite upset. So Mark, your book, Putting Out the Planetary Fire, an Introduction to Climate Change and Advocacy is available online and for purchase and print. Where can we find it? Uh, it's put out by the Green Education Legal Fund. So you go to the website, gelfny.org, or greeneducationallegalfund.ny.org. Top, there's a pull down for putting out the planetary fire. You can read it for free online. You can um, download it as a PDF. Um, and then if you, you know, want to buy a, or get a printed book, there's a way to, to get a printed copy. Thank you so much, Mark Dunley. Thank you, Sina.